Shift happens. The series we're in right now, shift happens. Uh, We've been talking about the idea that there are certain things in your life that just like have a gravity to them. They have a gravity to them. And if you aren't intentional, if you don't like paddle upstream, these things will kind of pull you towards them. And these things are not good things. The kind of shift that happens in your life without your intention is not a good shift. Uh, if, if you're not intentionally trying to shift something and you're shifting, it's, you're probably not shifting in a good direction. Uh, so today, we're going to talk about something that honestly I didn't want to talk about. Um, not this Monday, but two Mondays ago when I sat down to write a sermon, I didn't intend to write this one. And this is what happened because I felt God really nudging me, really pushing me. Um, And then Satan sent a snowstorm to prevent us from meeting, which really made me feel like God was trying to do something. And then now Satan has gotten into my microphone this morning as well. So he really must not want you to hear what I have to say today, what hopefully God does today. Um, So the shift we're going to look at today has an enormous pull. It may well be the most uh, powerful force that we talk about in this series. It might be something that in your life, like, you never fully conquer it. You never are free completely from the gravitational pull that this thing has. Uh, and it might be the most surprisingly destructive force that we talk about in this series. Now, say surprisingly, because maybe when you hear the word, you won't think destructive, you'll think something else. But uh, in my experience, it has been. The shift that we're going to talk about today is the shift towards insecurity. Insecurity. I didn't want to talk about it uh, for a lot of different reasons. It's hard to talk about insecurity. Uh, Insecurity in my own life has caused more mistakes, more pain, more destruction than almost any other force. When I'm feeling insecure, listen to me, when I'm feeling insecure, I am a significantly worse human. I just, I just want you to know that I, I, it's one of the things I've, as I become more self-aware and I realize those moments where, or those seasons where I'm feeling insecure, I'm just not a good person. <laughs> I'm worse when I'm insecure. And the other thing I've observed is the people in my life who have caused me the most pain and caused the most destruction have also been the most insecure people that have been in my life. There's something about it. It's like a, a cancer that seems to like infect every part of your life and just kind of bring everything down. And by the way, in case you have like an incomplete perception of insecurity, insecure people are not just the people at the party who stand off to the side and don't talk to anybody. They may be insecure. But the most insecure person I've ever met in my life was also the loudest, most bravado-filled braggart that I've ever met in my life too. So just because you're quiet doesn't mean you're insecure. The quietest person might be insecure, but I guarantee the loudest person in the room is insecure. They're just manifesting in different ways. So my assumption this morning is that you are also a worse human being when you are feeling insecure. And the more insecure you're feeling, probably the worse you are. So here's how I want to define insecurity this morning. Insecurity is an awareness of the gap between who you are and who you want to be. Who you are and who you want to be. Or maybe I should say who you are and who you think you are and who you want to be. Because I don't know that you have a perfect perception of who you really are, right? So maybe it's who you think you are and who you really want to be. And built in, obviously, is the assumption that those are two different people, right? That there is a gap between who you are and who you want to be. 
like if you could wave a magic wand over yourself, you'd be different. That's my assumption, that you would look different on the outside and probably be different on the inside. I'm making that assumption about you, I'm sorry, but I am. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming that you have some things that you would like to be different. Are we singing a song now? This is cool. What is this? Is this a message? Do you think this is from God or is this from Steve? Which is it? His love is for me. Jonathan, do you want to start singing? Ooh, sets free indeed. Okay, the good. This is, it's on, it's on uh, topic today. Thank you, Jonathan, for bringing us back. Um, so uh, one of the things, where are you guys going? What is, I'm telling you. <laughs> The devil is in the technology this morning. He is inside the technology this morning. Okay. So uh, you have a gap between who you want to be and who you are. You do. And it's awareness of that gap that's going to cause those feelings of insecurity to bubble up inside of you. And I don't know what's in that gap for you. I don't know what causes you to feel insecure. Um, maybe, maybe for you it's, it's you're just too short, you know, or, or maybe you're too tall. I don't know. Um, maybe it's the way your hair grows or doesn't. <laughs> Maybe it's uh, the shape of your nose or the way your feet look in sandals. I don't know what weird thing you got going on. Um, maybe it's because certain parts of you are smaller than you'd like them to be and certain parts of you are bigger than you'd like them to be. And I'll let you, you can take that however you want. <laughs> maybe the number on the scale is too high and the number in the bank account's too low. Maybe you're not as creative as you would like to be, or maybe you're not as organized as you would like to be. Maybe your kids act up all the time and you feel like it's a reflection on you. Maybe you're not as smart or as funny or as witty or as clever as you'd like to be. Maybe your career isn't where you thought it would be at this point in your life. Maybe it's those secret things that nobody knows about you. Or maybe it's those past failures that everybody knows about you. Or maybe, maybe for you, insecurity is less about the specifics and more just a general feeling. Maybe you just don't feel lovable. You can't really put specifics to it. You just don't feel lovable. You don't feel worthy. You don't feel good enough. You just have that general feeling. You can't put details on it, but you have a sense that you just don't measure up in life. Or maybe you're really warped and you are insecure about your insecurities. And that's like advanced insecurity. I don't know if you've reached that level yet. You have to be really self-aware to be able to be insecure about your insecurities and to kind of warp in on yourself and die uh, like a dying star uh, collapsing into its own gravity. It's really fun. Um, so some of you, you carry the feeling of insecurity all the time, right? So when I say uh, a shift towards insecurity, you're like, what shift? I live here, buddy. <laughs> like, you don't, you don't know what I'm talking about. But then others of us, uh, it's more circumstantial. It's more situations that cause insecurity to uncontrollably bubble up inside of you. So, what can we do? If you, like me, are a worse person when you feel insecure, then we need to do something about this, right? To be a better person, you need to conquer this insecurity thing. You need to fight against the gravitational pull that this has. You'll be better for it if you do. So how can we fight against the gravity of insecurity? So, uh, there's this story in the Old Testament. It's kind of an obscure story uh, about a Bible character whose name you probably don't know. You might know him, but... Uh, you're not going to immediately go, oh yeah, that's what that guy did. You're not going to remember. Um, it's a story that every time I read it, I have like this emotional reaction. Like, I, I don't know why, because it's not really designed to have an emotional reaction to the story, but I really find this story powerful. Um, and it's, it's kind of in an unexpected way for me. So the story is about a, a king named Hezekiah. Hezekiah. And he's a king in Judah. And just to give you a quick backstory so you kind of understand what's happening on, 
Israel starts off as one nation, right? And then Israel splits into two nations, like just a couple of generations, and it goes to a, a northern kingdom and a, and a southern kingdom because everybody's fighting. They're all very immature. Uh, so the southern kingdom retains the name Israel, and then the, or the northern kingdom retains the name Israel, and the southern kingdom is called Judah. So Hezekiah is one of the kings of Judah. The northern kingdom goes bad and stays bad. They, they get destroyed early. Actually, they get destroyed in the story. And then uh, the, the southern kingdom has some really good kings. Hezekiah is one of them. He's a good king. The, the Bible repeatedly says that Hezekiah is a good king. He does what's pleasing in the sight of the Lord. So while Hezekiah is reigning and being a good king, the nation of Assyria invades. A more powerful, stronger nation invades. Uh, now they take out the northern kingdom first. They send everybody into exile and pretty much wipe the northern kingdom off the map. And then they turn south towards Judah. And they're coming. So what's, what happens is Hezekiah and uh, the king of Assyria, his name is Sennacherib. I know you'll remember that. That's will be on the test later. So Sennacherib is the name of the king of Assyria. They have, uh, at the beginning, kind of a failed negotiation Hezekiah tries to send a big tribute to Sennacherib, a bunch of money, a bunch of gold and silver, and he sends a little letter with it saying, hey, here's some money, leave us alone. <laughs> That's essentially what the, it's like, just, just go away. Um, now, we all know that when you give the bully your lunch money, it doesn't work, right? Evidently, Hezekiah did not because he thought giving him money and, and saying go away would work, uh, but Sennacherib all of a sudden gets excited because he finds out how much money they have, so uh, here they come, and this huge army comes and sits outside the capital city of Jerusalem. And uh, back in those days when, when a fight was about to start, uh, you know, the invading army would send out a little uh, representatives to talk and then uh, the other side and they have this little before the fight conversation to maybe see if we don't actually have to, you know, fire arrows at each other and swing swords at each other. Maybe we can work this out just by talking. So the story that we're going to look at is, is between uh, like the advisors of Sennacherib and the advisors of Hezekiah. And that's where uh, this really cool conversations happen. So it's in 2 Kings, starting in uh, chapter 18, verse 19. Then the, king, uh, the Assyrian king's chief of staff told them to give this message to Hezekiah. This is what the great king of Assyria says. What are you trusting in that makes you so confident? What are you trusting in that makes you so confident? So this uh, right here is, is the beginning of a speech that's designed to cause Hezekiah to surrender. The whole speech is designed to cause Hezekiah to give up, open the gates, and let Assyria in. Um, but it, it really starts with a profound question, doesn't it? What are you trusting in that makes you so confident? What are you trusting in, Hezekiah? If you look at the Hebrew word and look at like the definitions for, for trusting, one of the definitions is finding security. What are you finding security in? Hezekiah. And if you ask kind of the opposite way, you could say, why aren't you insecure, Hezekiah? And, and the implication is, you should be. You should be insecure right now. Why aren't you? What, are you, what, are you, what is your source right now, Hezekiah? I think that's a really deep question. And maybe, maybe you should ask yourself this. If you have confidence in your life, what is causing that confidence? Where is, what is the source of your confidence in your life? What are you trusting in that's making you so confident? Now, this voice, the, the voice of Sennacherib here that's going out, is going to make a speech, and the entire speech is designed to erode 
Hezekiah's confidence. The entire speech is designed to draw Hezekiah towards insecurity here. And it's, it's epic. And I wanna go through it kind of quickly. And I just want you to listen to this voice and, and see if it kind of sounds familiar because maybe you've heard it before uh, in your life. So verse 20, he starts off taking pot shots here. Do you think that mere words can substitute for military skill and strength? Who are you counting on? that you have rebelled against me. So the first thing this voice attacks is Hezekiah's talent, his strength. Hezekiah is a king, he's good with words. He thought this letter that he wrote would actually maybe work and it maybe have the Assyrian king go away. He's, he's good at that. He's got money, he's got, he's got the ability to make a speech. And this guy says, oh, you're counting on your strength to save you. You're, you're, you're finding confidence, you're finding security in your strength. Well, guess what, Hezekiah? Your strength isn't strong enough in this instance. You're going to get buried here. Your strength can't quite reach the heights that it needs to reach in this situation. You ever felt that way before? He continues, verse 21. On Egypt? If you lean on Egypt, it will be like a reed that splinters beneath your weight and pierces your hand. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, is completely unreliable. So the second thing this guy attacks is Hezekiah's friends. He says, you're finding security in your relationships with people? <laughs> Come on, Hez, you know better than that. They're going to fail you, and it's going to hurt the whole time, okay? You're going to be leaning on a reed. It's going to snap, and it's going to pierce your hand, and you're going to fall down. It's going to be bad. They're not reliable, Hezekiah. Don't try to find your security in your friends. It's not going to work. He continues, verse 22. But perhaps you will say to me, we are trusting in the Lord our God. But isn't he the one who was insulted by Hezekiah? Didn't Hezekiah tear down his shrines and altars and make everyone in Judah and Jerusalem worship only at the altar here in Jerusalem? So the third thing this voice attacks is Hezekiah's relationship with God. And he starts to say, hold up, you're going to trust in God. Hezekiah, have you met you? <laughs> you, you're, you're not a good dude, Hezekiah. Look at all the stuff you've done. He starts throwing all of Hezekiah's mistakes in his face and says, hey, when God says to go right, you go left. You think that God's going to help you? Yeah, right, Hezekiah. Yeah, right. So he attacks his relationship with God and he's not done. He continues, verse 23. I'll tell you what. Strike a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses if you can find that many men to ride on them. With your tiny army, how can you think of challenging even the weakest contingent of my master's troops, even with the help of Egypt's chariots and charioteers? This dude is good at trash talking, is he not? So now he's saying, here's the, the, the next thing he wants to attack is Hezekiah's weakness. Hezekiah's army is not big enough to handle this, this invading army. He knows that. So he's saying, hey, that weakness that you have, it is going to come back to bite you right here. Even if we gave you horses, you couldn't even find enough guys to put on it. Your weakness is going to be your downfall here, Hezekiah. So he's really just shooting arrows at his heart, trying to draw him towards insecurity here. Now, he, he ups the ante on this next one. So here's what he says at verse 25. What's more? Do you think we've invaded your land without the Lord's direction? The Lord himself told us, attack this land and destroy it. So the fifth thing he goes after is again Hezekiah's relationship with God, but he kind of, he, he really takes it deeper. He gets more aggressive. He says, hey, Hezekiah, yeah, 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 all those things you messed up. Guess what? God is against you. It's not even that God is like neutral. God is against you. Hezekiah. God doesn't want you to win. Matter of fact, God sent us. God's not inside Jerusalem in that temple. God's out here facing Jerusalem, wanting to take it out. That's how mad God is at you. He's against you. Now, there's a little interlude here. Uh, some of Hezekiah's people talk now. 
so just imagine the scene. Say there's like a big, giant wall. Jerusalem's behind, and they're kind of outside the wall having this conversation. Uh, so uh, Hezekiah's advisors now speak, and here's, here's what they say. Uh, then Elakim, son of Hilkiah, Shebna, and Joah said to the Assyrian chief of staff, please speak to us in Aramaic, for we understand it well. Don't speak in Hebrew, for the people in the wall will hear. <laughs> don't, don't, don't be so loud, man. And, and think about this. Look, look at their awareness because they know how damaging this voice is. They know what this voice is, is doing to their hearts so they don't want the people to experience it as well. They know that this voice could defeat the city before an arrow flies. So they're, they're trying to shut the voice down. You can imagine how this is going to go if you've already kind of caught the swagger that this guy has. He's not going to be turned away by that. But just remember how powerful this voice is. And I think an attempt to shut it down was probably a wise one, even though it obviously uh, is not going to work. Verse 27. But Sennacherib's chief of staff replied, Do you think my master sent this message only to you and your master? He wants all the people to hear it. For when we put this city under siege, they will suffer along with you. They will be so hungry and thirsty that they will eat their own dung and drink their own urine. What's for lunch? <laughs> so he says, no, no, no. I'm speaking Hebrew. And then it, it, you almost get the impression, the story doesn't say, but you almost get the impression that he raises his voice. He starts kind of yelling a little bit. Like, I'm not talking to you anymore. I'm going to talk to the people on the wall. And, and this is like the sixth thing he attacks. Look at what he attacks here. Their future. Oh, Hezekiah, what you think is, you're just going to wait this out. You've got that light at the end of the tunnel. You're just going to put your head down and go, and it's the light at the end of the tunnel. That's what you're finding your security in, is just getting through this to the next thing. Guess what? Light's gone. It's actually darker ahead. Your future is bleak. Things are not going to get better. They're going to get worse. So don't be finding your security in some distant hope. It's going to get bad, really bad. Now, what he does after this He's kind of yelling at this point. He reiterates a lot of the stuff he already said because now he's talking to everybody. But I want to drop down to the very last thing he says in this very epic trash-talking speech. And this is probably where he makes his biggest mistake. What God of any nation has ever been able to save its people from my power? What makes you think that the Lord can rescue Jerusalem from me? <laughs> See, I don't know why. It always gets me. It's like he was aiming at Hezekiah. And then he stupidly takes a shot north up at God. And he like sent an arrow up there. And God's like, what? What did he just say? This is, out of everything he just said, this is the one that's maybe the most outrageous. But, but if you hear it from Hezekiah's point of view, I think how you can hear this, maybe how you hear this when you hear this kind of voice, is that um, even if God's not mad at you, even if he decides to help you, you're in too deep now. It, it, it's, it's, it's beyond hope now. You, you've taken it too far, Hezekiah. You can't get out now. Even if God decides to try and help you, it's, it's too late. The damage is going to be done, buddy. I think that's how this voice is heard in our minds. But you probably shouldn't take a shot at God. Ever. Like that. Just a tip. So this messenger, this voice, speaking to Hezekiah, is telling him all the reasons he should be insecure. What are you finding security in, Hezekiah? Let me tell you all the reasons why you shouldn't be secure. Or let me tell you all the reasons you should feel insecure right now. And he just rattles these things off. And I guess for me, part of the reason I find this story so powerful is I like, associate with Hezekiah in this situation. Not that I've ever been a king under siege, you know, but I really do feel like I've felt what he feels in this story. What he's hearing is an overt draw towards insecurity, but I hear it in here. 
He's feeling on the outside, I feel it on the inside. The voice that he hears with his ears, I hear it in my head. Insecurity kind of hijacks that voice in my head sometimes. Anybody have that? Where, where the voice in your head is saying this stuff. Like you don't have any business doing what you're doing. You're going to lose. You're not enough. I had it this morning. I had it this morning driving in. I had it this morning standing right over there. You're not, you can't do this. You can't do this. What do you, what do you, you think God's with you? I have this right here. How hard is it to fight? Like, it's hard enough to fight the outside voices. It's really hard to fight the ones that, that, that have the same tone, the same tone, the same timber as my own voice. God doesn't love you. God doesn't even like you. And if he did, he wouldn't help you. He can't. You've ruined it. You've messed up too much. I bet you've had this voice too. Maybe you fight it constantly. Maybe you don't even know the difference between your voice and the voice of insecurity at this point. How can we fight it? How can we pull away from the, gra- the powerful gravitational pull that this voice has? Well, let me just tell you real quick what the world would tell you. Um, the world's going to tell you just believe in yourself. Uh, you probably already know that. Um, but if the world was given Hezekiah advice here, man, you just need to believe in yourself, Hezekiah, right? You're, you're good enough, you're smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like you, you know? No? Yes? Okay, some of you. It's the older people will get that one. Um, what you need is more self-confidence, right? That's the answer that the world's going to give. That's the answer the world's going to give to insecurity. Believe in yourself. Look inside here and, and, and find something to fight the insecurity. Believe in yourself and you're more likely to succeed. And there's at least a nugget of truth in that, right? Because if you don't believe you can, you probably won't. But is it the complete truth? Is it really true that you just need to believe in yourself more? You just need to have more self-confidence and that will be the counter to your insecurity? Because if you look at this situation, I don't know that this would help Hezekiah. No amount of self-belief, self-confidence is going to help Hezekiah in this situation. He's got upwards of 200,000 soldiers outside his city walls. He doesn't have enough money. He doesn't have enough troops. He doesn't have enough skill, enough heart to to make that go away. If Hezekiah just believes in himself, he's not going to live very long. He will lose the battle against insecurity and he will lose the battle against the Assyrians. He can't look in and he doesn't. The whole next chapter describes what Hezekiah does and essentially Hezekiah looks up. He doesn't look in, he looks up. He looks to God. And the same thing's going to be true for you. If you want to fight insecurity, stop looking in here. All that self-help crap, it, it, it doesn't work. It, it puts a band-aid over a bullet hole. Like you're, you're not going to solve insecurity by just believing in yourself more. You can't look in. You're going to have to look up. And really, I think you only have three choices when it comes to insecurity. Let me lay these out. These are your only three choices. There's multiple choices. It's A, B, C. You don't have D. Uh, you can choose to be insecure. That's your first choice. Probably not the one you want, but you could choose that. You can choose to be falsely secure, or you can choose to be secure in God. Those are your only three. Insecure, just believe that voice in your head. Just let it run its course and believe everything that voice says. You can be falsely secure. You can try to puff yourself up, believe in yourself, try real hard, let that buoy you against those feelings of insecurity, or you can find your security in your God. Which one are you doing right now? You you living in insecurity? You, you, you may be trying to find some false security, trying to, trying to believe in yourself real good and, and trust in some of those things that you feel like make you strong or are you looking to God 
for your security. Because that's the only true security that you can find. It's the only true security you can find. So if you look to God, uh, I believe God gives us two powerful things to fight against insecurity. Two powerful weapons against insecurity. And those powerful weapons are identity and purpose. Identity and purpose. These two things uh, can fight back against, can push away from the gravity of insecurity. Knowing who you are and knowing what God has called you to are are powerful weapons against insecurity. A a mix of God-given identity and God-given purpose. That's the, the, those are the key right there. If you put those two things together, that's it. So let me, let me tell you real quick who you are. This is important. And if you're sitting here thinking, you never met me, I don't care, I know you. I know you. I know all about you, okay? I know some things. So uh, this is really important, really important. Man, if you could get this, if you could get these three things, your life would change. It really would. Here's the first thing. You're designed by God. You're designed by God. Look at Psalm 139, 13 and 14. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know it full well. God made you, like knit you together, like inside your mother's womb. You had identity in there, purpose in there. God made you. Do you realize that? Like God designed you. And I know like, can I just stop for a minute and talk to the Christians? You've heard this so many times, haven't you? Oh yeah, God designed me. And what should we t- which verse should we attach to that? Definitely Psalm 139, 13 and 14, right? You've heard this a hundred times. <laughs> you got it maybe there, but do you believe it here all the time? 